Welcome back to A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. I'm Samir Nafsi. And I'm Holly Hedrick. All right, Holly. So the year is now 2015. Zeb Quinn has been gone. He vanished 15 years ago in two months. Robert Jason Owens, as we mentioned in our last episode, has now been named a person of interest in the Quinn disappearance. And sadly, at this point, detectives, community members, and the Quinn family appear to kind of realize that happily ever after has faded away. Uh, at this point in the case, uh, there's still some attention around Zeb Quinn and his disappearance, but it's starting to die down a little bit more. And you were on the morning show. Uh, what do you recall at this point? Exactly what you're saying. I mean, it kind of had gone cold. The case had been cold for so long. It wasn't exactly top of mind anymore. This isn't something that the community was talking about as much. There, you know, The posters would come down and the billboards and things like that. So it wasn't really top of mind. Let me let you listen to um, the last time we did a story at this point. This is on an anniversary. And let you hear what uh, Zeb's mom said to one of our reporters. This is back in 2011. The pictures News 13 and others have shown again and again are visions of a case gone cold, an eternity of waiting for answers to questions that won't go away. I even was open to the fact that maybe there was a side to him that I didn't know. We do believe that he was killed that night. Why? We don't have any clue. Nobody really had a good reason to do that unless there's just somebody that was a little unbalanced or if it was an accident and somebody is scared. I, I don't know. In our last episode, we discussed Robert Jason Owens had legal woes as really took place from 2002 all the way to 2008. But again, we are talking about 2015. So he's dropped somewhat off the radar. And this is when the saga of Zeb Quinn, Robert Jason Owens really starts to take a turn. And we move away from Zeb Quinn and we introduce ourselves to a new family that just moved to the mountains. That would be JT and Christy Cod. This part of the Owen saga really takes a turn. It's just such a gut punch when you read about and learn about the cod. So here's what we know. JT and Christy moved from the bright lights of Hollywood uh, to a slower mountain town. Uh, they were an expecting family. Christy was 38 years old. JT 45, and they moved to Leicester, North Carolina. And Christy's claim to fame was she was on the eighth season of Food Network Star. And this was in 2012, according to the Associated Press. So she was 35 years old when this show taped, according to a bio page on the Food Network's website for the show. Her biography states that she grew up in a military family. She loved to cook. She loved to cook Cajun food with her dad, lived in New Orleans. So take a listen to a clip we aired in 2015. This is also from that bio page. If I became the next Food Network star, it wouldn't be about changing my life. It would be more about changing everybody else's lives that are watching my show. They were wonderful. They were bright. They were full of energy. They were very open. Both had just a wonderful heart. They're really good people. You really do get that humble background from Christy. Energetic, beautiful on camera, and, and just the way she speaks about what she wants to bring to the table. It's not her moment to shine. She's doing this to help other people, which is something you really do hear a lot of when people talk about Christy's show and Cod. We had a chance to speak to one of her neighbors, and this is what he had to say, and he's just hoping uh, for the best in this case. Go ahead and take a listen. It's a really nice couple, and 
I don't know what had happened. They, uh, they, they stay gone, you know, on trips occasionally, but they, uh, for the most part, they're really nice. Never hear anything from them. Let's talk a little bit more about Christy and JT. As we mentioned, they moved from Hollywood. They were in the hustle and bustle out there, and they moved to the slower mountain town, Lester, North Carolina. We know JT uh, well-established, as was Christy. JT worked on movie and film sets, that according to the Associated Press. Christy, of course, sticking with her cooking background, had a catering company called Tree Hugger Catering, and she posted on Facebook in February of 2015 that they had booked a film to cater for. It was called The Big Short. Uh, we also know through our reporting, and uh, Kim King, who's still on staff, she uh, reported a lot about the COD stuff and is honestly probably the expert when it comes to uh, this saga of the case. She reported that JT and Christy purchased a home with a friend to flip and renovate and, and probably sell. What is pretty interesting about this is everything was smooth sailing from this idyllic uh, Hollywood lifestyle out to Leicester, North Carolina. They had a lot of friends out here that spoke so highly of them. Again, they had a lot to look forward to. They had the house flipping, they had the catering company, and they were expecting their first child, Skylar. And it was a joyous time. And unfortunately, then it takes this awful gut-wrenching, as you've mentioned, turn. And this happened on March the 14th. It was a Saturday back in 2015. And you were on the morning show as we established. What do you recall from this time frame or this event? What I remember most is that this case became a national case, a lot of national attention very, very quickly, especially because of their backgrounds from them being from Hollywood. So as things start to play out, even Arnold Schwarzenegger tweeting about the situation, Christie's past producers, um, the L.A. news media, Dateline is even talking about this. There's a lot of interest in this story, not just locally, but also nationally. And it's taking place, you know, in quiet little Leicester, North Carolina, which is still to this day a very rural part. And there's not a lot of commotion and things happening in this part of the um, area. So this information as to exactly what took place is attributed through court records as well as News 13 reports. So preliminary information was released to media on Friday, March 20th. Now let's backtrack to Sunday, March 15th. Around 3.23 p.m., Bill Show and Christie's father contacted the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office to request a welfare check for his daughter. He says that he hadn't heard from her for days, but she was expected to be in Mississippi that day uh, around four. So, of course, he was alarmed and he contacted the sheriff's office. Now, eventually, deputies go out to perform a wellness check at their Hooker's Gap address in Leicester. Um, they contacted a neighbor, Cecilia Owens. Why do we know that name? Well, that name sounds very familiar as to Robert Jason Owens, of course, who was our person of interest in the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. So this is Jason's aunt that has a key to the Cod's property, and she eventually gives them uh, that key so they can get inside of the home. We didn't get a lot of information, especially in the beginning about this, but what we do know, according to a search warrant, is that there was, quote, evidence of suspicious activity. Immediately, detectives called the scene. They start marking it off, trying to figure out exactly where the cods were at. We know Christie's purse and JT's wallet were found inside the home. Now, according to uh, documents, uh, this one would be the facts to establish probable cause. The medicine cabinet had been left open and band-aids were removed. The couple's dogs were inside and their vehicles 
were also in the driveway. And I want to go ahead and play a clip from a package we did whenever the investigation was ongoing. Let's go ahead and take a listen. Relatives, including a man believed to be Christie's father at the home. Friends say her parents drove all night from out of state. And I really do hope that you're found safe. I really do. Obviously, both JT and Christy were not there. So detectives contact JT's parents, who also say the same thing that Christy's did. We haven't heard from them in days. Detectives start a missing person investigation immediately at this point. They start obtaining the search warrants, preservation orders for all of the cell phone information, any calls, any text messages, that type of thing. The all day, all night, the next morning, they process this home. They're searching for any kind of clues, especially since it was kind of left in disarray, it seemed. Mm-hmm. Investigators receive, though, finally a big break in this case. They have to receive a tip about suspicious activity. And this is on Donna Drive. This is out in Candler. So listen to what the sheriff then had to say. That turned out to be a pivotal point in the case. Wait, so Candler, Lester, are they close to each other? Not really. I mean, they're about 10 miles away from each other, but they're definitely not next door. Okay, interesting. Now, according to documents, this tipster tells detectives that they witnessed a person dumping a large bag or bags into the dumpster. Detectives recover several items that, in fact, belong to Christie. They reported finding jewelry, pillow cases, and bed sheets, as well as a Glock handgun. Combined, it was about uh, $1,500 worth of items that were thrown out in this dumpster. And they now have a person of interest for that suspicious activity, Robert Jason Owens. Did the Cods know Robert Jason Owens? Because we said that his aunt had a key to their place. Did they know him? They lived in the same area down the road or possibly next to each other. So it does make sense that they would know each other. But I also want to discuss something from the Asheville Citizens Times, which is the local paper here in our DMA. And they mentioned Robert Jason Owens owned a construction company at this point, and he had done some work at the Cod's property. We also know that they lived down the road from each other, as I mentioned. Sheriff Van Duncan at the time told the Citizens Times that he, quote, did some odd jobs for the CODs. We know at some point during the disappearance of the CODs that one of their friends spoke with News 13 about a text message that he had received from JT's phone, but he said that it seemed a little off. It didn't sound like something that he would say. So take a listen to what this friend had to say. I sent him a text about, well, about 5.30 or 6, and I got no answer. So I think that the end of the line was Wednesday. Now, this is where things start to get a little weird in the case. Uh, that neighbor who just heard from sent a text to the CODs on March 12th, which is when, according to warrants, uh, police or investigators believe the murders of the CODs would have taken place. Go ahead and take a listen to the response he got. I got this text that looked like it came from Christy, but I, it was not her phraseology. It uh, didn't sound like her. And I believe it was someone else sending the text. So that text message he received said, quote, sorry, we both have this stomach flu throwing up and such. We both have been trying to sleep it off, end quote. And the neighbor says that he and the CODs also knew Robert Jason Owens. They, uh, as we mentioned, hired him to do some work on the property. And I believe it was for that house they were flipping. Go ahead and take a listen to what he said about Robert Jason Owens. He never gave us any trouble and worked well. Detectives end up talking with Robert Jason Owens finally on Monday, March the 16th, and he admits to them that he went to the Cod's property and he stole some items. So then he says that he took those items 
to the Candler dumpster. So he admits to that suspicious activity mm-hmm. that it was him. He was arrested that day for breaking and entering and larceny of the Cod property. The detectives also end up talking with his wife, ex-wife now, and she tells investigators that Jason told her that he was driving JT's 2008 Dodge Ram when he hit and killed him. Now, after Jason was taken into custody, he admitted to destroying the bodies of JT and Christy Codd at his home. Then Sheriff Duncan uh, also mentioned during an interview that that dumpster, that was the pivotal moment, is what he said in our other soundbite. He says that they brought that dumpster and placed it at the detention center when they brought him in for an interview. Now, go ahead and take a listen to what the sheriff said about Jason and his reaction to seeing this dumpster. When he pulled in, he just physically... It, it was a physical reaction. So that, the he significance had. is, is that then they brought him into the interview room, and he knew that they were going to get in there and find. He knew what was in there. Now, detectives obtained search warrants, and they end up finding human remains in the wood stove of Robert Jason Owens' home. The remains were taken to Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center in Winston-Salem, and then they were later confirmed to be that of the Cods. Jason was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and the death of JT and Christy Cod and the murder of their unborn child. What's his, what's his motive? So this is where things get a little tricky and a, a little confusing. But according to R. Kim King, Owens reported to running JT caught over with JT's truck killing him. Jason then admitted to taking the bodies and destroying them on his property and putting them in a wood stove. I'll explain a little bit more uh, in this episode about what Jason says unfolded that night. So we know that on the 14th of March, let's backtrack a little bit and go mm-hmm. back over these dates. On the 14th of March, no one had heard from them. On the 15th of March, the missing persons report is finally filed with the Buckingham County Sheriff's Office. So when do detectives think the murders took place? There's not really a concrete answer for that, but they do rely on Verizon Wireless records, so the cell phone records of JT and Christy, to paint somewhat of a timeline. We know for a fact that no calls were made from JT's phone after March 10th, and no calls were made from Christy's phone after March 11th. However, records show that text messages were sent from JT's phone on March 10th, and 11th. And here's another interesting point. Just days after Jason is charged with murdering the Cods, around 2 in the morning, a fire breaks out at a home near Owens on Friday, March the 20th. This is according to a report from the Asheville Citizen Times. So arson investigators are now called to that scene. Mm-hmm. And then in August of 2015, District Attorney Todd Williams requested a hearing to notify the courts that he would be seeking the death penalty in this case. At this point, Jason was represented by a public defender. However, for a capital punishment crime or case, a defense lawyer needs to have special qualifications due to what's at stake, obviously life or death. So this is when the world, or at least Buncombe County, is introduced to Vicki Jane and Sean Devereaux. They joined the defense team for Robert Jason Owens. Now, the last person to be put to death, though, in Buncombe County was convicted murderer Zane Hill. This was in 1998. He actually killed his son. And in Haywood County, Charles Roach was put to death back in 2004. So this is a very uncommon thing for Western North Carolina. And then in 2016, according to News 13, Jason would learn that he was being charged with 
two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of dismembering human remains in the murder of an unborn child, and two counts of robbery with a dangerous weapon. I also want to note the reason the district attorney uh, decided to seek the death penalty in this case is he pointed to the aggravators in the case, to the facts. Uh, we had the murders and then the robbery, which all pointed uh, to aggressors within the case, which led to the decision to attempt to seek the death penalty in this case. All right, let's get now to April 24th of 2017. And News 13 confirmed that things now have changed with this case. Robert Jason Owens will no longer face the death penalty for the murder of the Cods and their unborn child. Multiple sources confirming this to News 13. The DA Williams extended a plea deal to Jason and his team, of course, not sitting well with members of the community. News 13 spoke with Amy Carlson about a letter she received from Owens about a year prior to this decision. A letter that he wrote, my husband and myself, he's saying that he didn't murder them or rob them and all the things he was being accused of. So according to our reports, this handwritten letter was two pages and the letter was sent to Stacy and Amy Carlson. They also lived in Leicester and they were friends with the Cods and the Owens family. Now, Amy says she received this letter in January of 2016 just go ahead and take a listen to what she said was inside that letter. It opens, I hope this letter finds you all doing well. In the second paragraph, Owens writes, I did not murder my friends, nor did I rob them, and I'm confident I have the experienced attorneys to represent me and the truth in trial. Again, this letter is sent a year before the plea deal is reached. Correct. So through our reporting, it was clear that Amy was upset about this plea deal because of what Jason had said prior. It was a complete 180 than what was anticipated to take place in the Buncombe County courtroom. And you can imagine she was upset and that was probably the feeling for many in the community, especially those who knew the Cod family. Go ahead and take a listen to this uh, clip of an interview we had where Amy's just discussing her outrage over this plea deal. My understanding when you have a plea deal is that you are admitting guilt in the death of someone. So in fact, okay, so which is it? Are you guilty or are you not? But if you're taking a deal, you are saying you're guilty. So again, the letter also proves how much he can manipulate people, the things that he says, and tries to put the blame everywhere else but upon himself. All right, the date is now April 27th, and this is when Robert Jason Owens and his defense team all descend into the Buncombe County Courthouse. We had Robert Jason Owens in a brown jumpsuit, of course, chained up. This was when the deal was going to be made. The courts would either accept or deny this plea deal offered up by the district attorney. We also know there was a lot of people in attendance in the form of Christie and JT's families. What's interesting you have to take into consideration this is probably the first time they're looking face-to-face -face at the man who killed their family members. So the temperature in the room is hard to even start to understand. But you were working the noon show that day. What do you recall, if anything? Well, this was a huge case, obviously, a lot of attention. We talked earlier in this episode of the podcast about all the tweets, even the governor of California, you know, tweeting out about this and producers and things like that. Um, even the stations in South Carolina, our competition, were coming up to the Buckham County Courthouse. They don't always come to Western North Carolina. Those new stations are in Spartanburg, Greenville, Anderson, South Carolina. But everyone was coming up to the courthouse for this case and this particular plea 
plea deal, especially because it was huge. And you have to understand there was a lot of support for the Cod family in that courtroom. Also in that courtroom was our own Evan Donovan. He was reporting on this for us that day. Take a listen to one of his reports. Robert Jason Owens sat there, agreed to a plea deal, and then sat emotionless as the assistant district attorney read out some of the graphic details of these murders. And then again, stone-faced, watching as the families of JT and Christy Codd got up to read statements. So Evan, we still have this up on our website, put out a series of tweets, as you mentioned, and he tweeted out that the first three rows uh, in the courtroom were booked with members of the Codd, so JT and Christy's family uh, attending. Cameras were not allowed inside of the courtroom, which is typically... Uh, it's a little unusual that cameras weren't allowed inside this courtroom, but given the fact that they were going to be details of how the cods were murdered and victim impact statements, the court ruled against when traditionally uh, cameras are allowed inside a courtroom here in North Carolina. Now, under this deal, Jason would plead guilty to two counts of murder, one count of killing an unborn child, and two counts of dismembering bodies. Now, if the judge accepts this plea deal, Jason would get a minimum of 19 years and 10 months for each of the three murders. I want to go ahead and play a clip from Amy Carlson again, who we mentioned prior, and you can just tell how outraged she is just from the conception of this deal. I thought this was a justice system. Where's the justice? How is this justice when victims and their families continue to be victimized? Samir, this deal was accepted by the court. So how much time did he actually get? That's a great question. So Robert Jason Owens would eventually be sentenced to 59 and a half to 74 and a half years for the murder of the Cods. Now, the murders were laid out in an 11-page court document, according to our reports. And then in 2017, we did a story with Sheriff Van Duncan at the time, and he's discussing his feelings regarding this plea deal. And I just want to emphasize, this is a deal that not a lot of people were on board with, but the sheriff said the reason the district attorney offered it up was because it allowed the family to move on. Go ahead and take a listen. Nobody feels good about it. Uh, I can tell you, we certainly don't believe Jason Owen's story. I, I think uh, the district attorney uh, and his office put it best yesterday and that he's absolutely guilty of what he's uh, admitting to today. Let's talk about Jason's narrative of events. Did he ever actually spell out what happened in March of 2015? So whenever the courts accepted this plea deal, part of the agreement was he would have to say exactly what happened. So I believe they read aloud something Jason had written about the murder and what took place that night. It's pretty graphic what uh, he told the courts. So we're going to condense it down a little bit. But I do want to go ahead and attribute this to the Asheville Citizen Times. That's a local paper we mentioned earlier. And they kind of spelled everything out and included it in their reports. We at the time just decided not to do it. Um, so Jason told the courts that he accidentally ran over the Cods as they were attempting to get JT Cod's truck out of a ditch. Jason says he accidentally hit the accelerator as JT and Christy were standing in front of the vehicle. He says that they died from that, and then he later took their bodies, dismembered them, and put them in a wood stove. And of course, we know the second half to be true through evidence and what uh, investigators were able to take away and send and have confirmed. 
those remains. D.A. Williams said that this punishment is tantamount to a sentence of death in prison, and the plea agreement was in accordance with the wishes of the Cod family. With tributes pouring in, of course, from the community, family, friends, Sheriff Duncan also not mincing his words when talking about this plea deal. Take another listen to what he has to say. Everybody wants to see him have to be accountable and tell exactly what happened. Nobody feels like they got that. But with the system we work in, sometimes uh, outcomes like yesterday are, are as far as you can get them. The district attorney should be ashamed of himself. I really feel like he's let the families down. And that second soundbite we just played is from Amy Carlson, who we mentioned previously. And you can just hear her tone. She's pointed and upset with the district attorney because she felt justice was not served in this case. And that really does round out uh, the murder of Christy and J.T. Codd. But Robert Jason Owens, this isn't the last time he'd make headlines. In fact, on July 10th of 2017, that name would be front and center of our evening news. Go ahead and take a listen. We begin tonight with breaking news. A major development in a missing case that's haunted people in the mountains for almost two decades. A Buncombe County grand jury has indicted Robert Jason Owens in the murder of Zeb Quinn. He's the same man convicted of a high-profile triple murder from two years ago. All right, so coming up next time on A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn, the surprising meeting held between Robert Jason Owens, his legal team, and the Asheville Police Department, all leading up to the conclusion of this 22-year murder mystery. Until then, I'm Samir Nafsi. And I'm Holly Hedrick. This is A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. If you're not already, make sure to follow this channel to stay up to date on all of our episodes. Also, leave us a review and feel free to give us a rating. It really helps boost our show. Until next time, I'm Samir Nefsi. We did reach out to the Quinn family, Schoen family, and Cod family. They all chose not to participate in this project, wanting to move on from this long saga.